Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching This reading is from John 6, 35 and verses 41 to 51. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain among yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) That hits a little different when it's your mom reading scripture for you. That was neat. And I only had to bribe her about 50 bucks to get her to do it, so. No, uh, it's, you don't know how many times she practiced that. Almost as many times as I practiced this sermon. Uh, but it's neat to be able to see her do that. Thank you very much. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan Cook, and I am blessed to be part of the team that gets to fill in here while our our senior pastor, Steve Weens, is off on sabbatical. Um, Preached last week. Kara preached the week before that. I believe Allie is preaching next week. Correct? Yes. Uh, It's a great group of people, and I'm very humbled to be part of it. So it's, it's a blessing, like I said, for me to be up here with you today. For those of you that were here last week and the week before, you'll notice uh, something similar, that we're preaching from the Gospel of John chapter 6, which as I said last week isn't something we do often at Genesis, preaching from the same set of texts, 
but I wanted to show you not only how the lectionary, that there's threads in the text for each week, that there are threads that connect us with other churches around the world, but at certain points in the lectionary, there are threads that connect us week to week in a particular passage, in a particular book, in, in this case, the Gospel of John. And John sort of sets that up for us a little bit. Um, I want to start with a story today along those lines about Harrison Ford. And I'm telling you a story about Harrison Ford not because uh, I'm a Star Wars nerd and he created one of the greatest characters in the history of modern American cinema. I'm not only telling you the story because I'm a Star Wars nerd and he created one of the greatest characters in modern American cinema. But <clears throat> when Harrison Ford was a young actor, he was contracted to a couple of studios. And he was getting thrown a lot of bit parts and he wasn't very happy with it. And so what he decided is that rather than having to depend on acting to feed his family, he was going to go out and teach himself another trade. And so he literally went to the library, checked out a bunch of books, and taught himself how to be a carpenter of all things. And started doing carpentry work. And the carpentry work put food on the table, and that allowed him to be more selective in the acting roles he chose. But more than that, being a carpenter, he said, actually taught him something about the art, the craft of acting, of building a character. He said, the basic nature of carpentry is to start with a foundation and then slowly add a layer at a time on top of another layer, on top of another layer, on top of another layer. And sooner or later, you have a shed or a house or whatever it is you're building. And he said, what that taught him is that when you build a character, when he's thinking his way through how he's going to play a character, you start with some sort of foundational personality element of that character. And then you start adding layer after layer after layer, after layer, and sooner or later you have a fully fleshed out character. And given the arc of his career, I'd say it's worked out pretty well. Now I tell you that story because I talked about the Gospel of John last week and about how John isn't trying to tell us a strictly chronological ordering of the events of Jesus' life. He starts with the beginning of the cosmos and he ends with the resurrection, yes, like, in, like any other gospel. But in between, he's perfectly willing to mix events around because his goal isn't to tell you event by event what happened in Jesus' life. His goal is to get you to better understand God through the life, through the ministry of Jesus Christ. And in a chapter like chapter 6, we see him set a foundation with the feeding of the 5,000. And then we add layer upon layer upon layer upon layer until we end up with a finished house. Because this is going somewhere. We are leading to something. We talked about last week why we do things. Well, we don't do things just because we're nice people and they're nice things to do. We do them because God calls them to, uh, us as the church to do those things, and it's all leading somewhere. And so by the end of the day, I hope you see how this all sort of fits together, how we started with that foundation, and we're adding layers, and we end up with something pretty darn beautiful. Okay? So we're going to start with verse 35. You may have noticed last week, verse 35 of chapter 6, was the last line of last week's scripture passage. And it's the first line of this week's scripture passage, which means there must be something fairly important going on there. So let's read that again quickly. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Does the last part of that ring any bells for anybody? Will never be thirsty? The story of the Samaritan woman at the well, does that come to mind at all? That's actually John chapter 4. So just two chapters ago, he said something very, very similar to this in a completely different context. But you can see that this idea of Jesus being something that leaves us never hungry and never thirsty is an important idea that echoes throughout the Gospel of John. But I want to focus on the first part of this, the I am the bread of life. What does that mean? 
What are we to take away from that here, now, today? Well, I think there's three layers, if you'll forgive my carpentry parlance. There's three layers that I want to talk about when it comes to this. Jesus says the bread of life first, it's an apologetic layer. Jesus says the bread of life points us to God's very existence. That's one. Second layer has to do with God's character. Jesus as the bread of life tells us something about the nature, the character of God. It's the second point. The third point is the kingdom layer. Jesus as the bread of life points us towards eternal life, points us towards the kingdom and says something about that very kingdom. So those are the three signposts we're going to hit as we go along today, okay? So the first layer, Jesus as the bread of life, the apologetic layer, Jesus as the bread of life tells us that God exists. Apologetics is a term some of you are going to be familiar with, some of you are not. The thumbnail history of apologetics is simply that uh, it came about as a response to the Enlightenment, which was a period of time in the mid-18th century where academic, academia decided it didn't need the church anymore. Many, many, many universities and mass education centers were built and funded and started by churches. But there came a point where the church, where the academics said, look, Copernicus in the 1500s said that we're not the center of the universe and we spent 200 years battling about that. Maybe we don't need the church anymore. Maybe we can do academics on our own. Maybe reason and rational thinking and logic can explain everything about us. We don't need God anymore. And as the church, unfortunately, is wont to do, the reaction to that was freaking out. It's unfortunate. And we've spent the last couple of hundred, 300 years now trying to fix that rift that says that science and faith can't work together. That's not true. And I'll do a completely different sermon about that someday. But that's not true. But apologetics is one of the things that came, one of the good things that came out of that, which is a group of people in the church saying, no, there are rational, reasonable, logical reasons to believe in God. And if you're an Enneagram 5 like me, that lights your fire, right? I'm all for that. But not everybody is. And yet I think it's useful for everybody in the church to have a few at least basic ideas, basic grounding philosophical ideas of why we believe in God. It's not just about this is what we were brought up with. There are reasons, there are rational, logical reasons to believe in God. And I believe that Jesus as the bread of life tells us one of those reasons. And to dive our way into that, we're going to go to today's all play, which is going to be up here on the screen in just a moment. And that's simply this. What are the things in life that we truly, deeply need? I'm not talking about the stuff we want really bad. I'm not talking about a fancy car. I'm not talking about a big house. I'm not talking about the $750 Lego set of the Millennium Falcon that I've lusted after since I was a child. I'm not talking about the things we really want. I'm talking about the things we existentially need. What are the things we need? If you're at home, you can type in the Zoom box, and I will see that here in a moment, but I want to throw it open to the folks in the sanctuary here first. And I would say, don't overthink this. There is no magical, mysterious answer to this. But what are the things we absolutely need at an existential level? Relationship, thank you. Water and food, excellent. Thank you very much. Sleep, whoa, man, is that a big one. Coffee, yes, yes, I would argue that's a need. Shelter, thank you. Shelter also, dignity, humanity, connectedness. Jim says pickleball, I don't know if that's an answer to my question or not. Anybody else? Warmth, thank you. Do you notice the common thread in all of these things? For everything we absolutely existentially need, 
there is something to meet that need. C.S. Lewis talked about this, and he said the following, creatures are, born, are, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger while there is such a thing as food, or I would add bread. A duckling wants to swim while there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. I would argue women feel that as well. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And he continues from there. For everything we need on an existential level, there is something to meet that need. And I would also argue that in addition to your great answers to the question, we are born with an existential need for meaning, for purpose, and for connection to something beyond ourselves. Whoever said relationship nailed that. There is a need, a God-given need for those things, and I believe that because if you look at the history of humanity, we have gone to amazing lengths. We've got a couple of cars driving around on Mars right now. We've gone to amazing lengths to find meaning, to find purpose, to find connectedness to something beyond ourselves. And what Christianity teaches us is that that was a need we were created with, and so therefore there has to be something to meet that need, and what meets that need just as bread meets our need for hunger, the bread of life, Jesus, God, meets our need for meaning, for purpose, and for connectedness to something beyond ourselves. So as Jesus talks about bread and people in his time and place would totally, uh, would totally connect that to hunger, I love the way Ali talked about the kinds of foods they ate back then, bread was an essential part of it. If you told somebody in Jesus' time they weren't going to be able to have bread, they would think they were going to die. It was that much of a staple of their diet. Just as bread meets that fundamental need for hunger, Jesus, as the bread of life, meets that fundamental need for meaning, for purpose, for connectedness to something beyond ourselves. That's layer one, the apologetic layer. Jesus, as the bread of life, points us to the very existence of God. Second layer, God's character. Jesus as the bread of life tells us something about God. This connects a whole lot to what I was talking about last week. When we talked about what is the work of the church, the work of the church is to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus, to emulate Jesus. And that means doing what Jesus did. And in the start of this chapter, the very first thing Jesus does is feed over 5,000 people. And that tells us something about the character of God. That's a miracle, that's a sign that tells us that God cares deeply about meeting people's needs. You can absolutely see how bread of life connects there. But I want to look at a couple of more verses here from this week's passage. So if you have your liturgy in front of you, verses 45 and 46 say this. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. I mentioned earlier that John orders his gospel in a way to try and get you to understand that the character of God can be seen in and through the life and ministry of Christ. Well, that's verse 46 right there. You want to know God, you come and see Jesus. But I want to go back to verse 45 here, that part where it says, and they shall all be taught by God. It's actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 54. And the crowd would have known that right away. As soon as he quoted Isaiah, they would have known he was talking about Isaiah, not just some random prophet. And they would have known that the center of the book of Isaiah, the center of that scroll, was prophesying about the coming exile to Babylon. That happened about 600 BC or in the 6th century BC. There are two seminal events in Israelite history that they keep coming back to over and over and over and over again. 
the Babylonian exile and the exodus. And Jesus hits them both in this passage, and there's a reason for that. All shall be taught by God. Tells us something about God's character, because in the exile and in the exodus, what happens? The people stray, and God brings them back home. It's not just about God seeing to people's basic needs. It's not just about us seeing to each other's basic needs. It's about the fact that God will always welcome you back home. The most famous parable Jesus ever told was the parable of the prodigal son, which was about God welcoming a wayward son back home because God's very character is to welcome us back home. And that father in the parable of the prodigal son didn't just welcome the son back home by saying, hey, nice to see you. Your room's upstairs. Go do your thing. No. He threw a feast. He threw a feast. And do you think there was bread on that table? Yeah. Jesus as the bread of life tells us something about God's character. Not only that God cares deeply for meeting people's needs, basic needs, but also that God cares deeply about bringing people back home. No matter how far they stray, no matter how long they're gone, God is always there to help guide you back home. Jesus as the bread of life points us to God's existence. Jesus as the bread of life points us to God's character, what God's about. And that brings us to our third point. Jesus says the bread of life tells us something about the kingdom. Let's go back to this week's passage, starting with verse 48. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's declaring that again. Verse 49, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. That's the allusion to the exodus. I said Jesus hit both the exile and the exodus in just a matter of a couple of verses. There's your exodus reference. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. He's referring to himself there so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. There's a very Eucharistic element going on here. So what is he talking about living forever? Why why does eating of the bread of life point us towards living forever? Jesus preached often, often about the kingdom, about the inauguration of the kingdom, and about the continued, continued, coming of the kingdom. And that continued word is very important. When we talk about why we do the things that God asks us to do, why do we do the work of God? Why is the work of God is believing in Jesus, is following Jesus, is emulating Jesus, is seeing to people's basic needs? We don't just do that, like I said, because we're nice people and that's a nice thing to do, although we are and it is. And we don't just do that because God asks us to because he thinks it would be a nice thing. God calls us to do that work because it is in doing that work that we bring about a piece of the kingdom right here, right now, today. That's why we do that work. There's a somewhat problematic teaching in the history of Western Christianity, and I want to be very careful about how I say this. But there is a teaching that says that the gospel means that Jesus came and died for our sins so that we could then white-knuckle it through this life, try really, really, really hard to be good boys and good girls, although we're not perfect and we're never going to be perfect, but Jesus died to cover whatever flubs that we might have. But if we're really good boys and girls, then when we die, we get to go to heaven, which is in a completely other place, and leave behind all of the chaos and and the pain and the suffering in this world, and we get to go be in this really, really good place for all of eternity, and we don't have to deal with any of this anymore ever. Amen. Right? The problem is, and, and I, again, I do want to be careful because I know there's a lot of people that take great solace in that teaching. 
that look at that teaching and say, you know, I'm dealing with some heavy stuff right now, and the idea of getting out of here and going to heaven and being with Christ seems awfully nice. And that's what's getting me through my day to day. And to those people, I want to say, I don't want to take that away from you at all. But I want to supplant it with something I think is even better. Because the truth of the matter is, that teaching is not what the New Testament teaches. That teaching owes a whole lot more to Plato and Greek philosophy than it does to Jesus and the New Testament. The Greeks philosophized that the soul was the only thing in this world that wasn't corrupt. All the material elements of this world were corrupt. And that the goal was to have your soul exit this world and go on to a higher plane when you die. Sound familiar? But when Jesus talked about the kingdom, Jesus talked about the kingdom here. He talked about eternity here. He talked about a heaven and an earth that overlap in our reality. And it used to be thought of that the temple in Jerusalem was the place where those two things overlapped. And Jesus came along and said, no, you're all the temple. It overlaps in all of you. And when the kingdom comes, not only will those two things overlap, they'll actually mesh together in a new heaven and a new earth here in this reality. In fact, it'll create a new reality that's so beautiful, we, won't be, we can't even imagine what it might be like right here, right now. But we can take a piece of it and create it right here, right now. That directionality is the kingdom coming, not us leaving. If you need proof of that, just go to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The directionality is coming here. And that's important and that's good because it allows us to understand that we don't have to wait to get there. We can be doing kingdom work and we can be creating elements of the kingdom right here, right now. And that's why we do all of the things that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. There's a guy I know uh, via Twitter. The guy's name is Paul Anleitner and he hosts a podcast called Deep Talks. And he tweeted about this very idea this week in a way that was much better than anything I came up with. So I tweeted at him and I asked, I said, can I use that in my sermon? I'll give you full credit, I promise. And he said, you can, you can do that. You don't even have to give me credit. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Paul Anleitner is his name. And he said this, eternal life is not about a disembodied escape from the material world to a spiritual vacation resort. I think that was the phrase that got me. Eternal life is not about a disembodied escape from the material world to a spiritual vacation resort. Eternal life is sharing in the eternal communion of love that the Father and the Son have shared in beginning now. Beginning now and continuing onward without end. The kingdom is to come here and we get to be part of building it. God's promise was that all creation will be renewed, will be restored. Here. Not in some far off place. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new reality here. And we get to be part of bringing it about right here, right now. A kingdom with no more pain. A kingdom with no more suffering, no more evil, no more oppression, no more marginalization. All of that gone. And we get to be part of the work of doing that right here, right now. And it starts back at the foundation of seeing to people's basic needs. So I started with a story about building a character. We started two weeks ago with Kara's sermon about the feeding of the 5,000, building that foundation. And we added a layer of doing the work of God, the work that we're called to do, believing in Jesus, following Jesus, emulating Jesus, and seeing to people's basic needs. And now this week, hopefully, you see how I've added more layers to that. 
that Jesus is the bread of life points us to the very existence of God. Jesus is the bread of life points us to God's character, tells us what God's about. And Jesus as the bread of life points us to the kingdom because when we get done building that house, when we get done building that construction project, that's the kingdom, ladies and gentlemen. And we get to be part of putting that together, of building that here and now. It starts here and now and continues in God's love for all of eternity. You see how that all fits together? Now, there's a lot of stuff I've just thrown at you over the last 20 minutes or so. And the thing about preaching is you spend a lot of time constructing this sermon and putting all these elements together and trying to tie them all into a really pretty knot at the end. And sometimes it lands, and sometimes people hear something you said in minute three and tune out the rest of the time. That happens. That's fine. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this story. A friend of mine that I work with and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, uh, I told you last week, my day, my day job is working as a producer at WCCO Radio. When there's a Twins Day game, it wipes out my show. So basically, I get paid to go to the station and sit there and do busy work while making sure the building doesn't burn down because the Twins game basically runs itself. I'm not complaining. And the guy who produces the show after me, generally his show starts late. So he had come in, and we were chatting while the game's still going on, and he said, uh, you know, we got all this time, man, you and I should start a podcast. We should, you know, use this time and, and put together a faith podcast and, you know, use the resources of this radio station. Wouldn't that be great? I'm like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. I've monkeyed around with doing a faith podcast before. In fact, I did one with Steve Weems where we talked about, you know, eschatology and the end times and did you believe in eternal conscious torment or annihilationism? Or I, I said, you know what, Dave, I bet, I bet you're a universalist. You strike me as a guy who thinks that universalism is the way to go. And he deadpan looked at me and said, Dan, I'm an I don't care, just go love your neighborist. Yep. Yeah. That was a mic drop right there, wasn't it? Because that's the bottom line. All of, I mean, I can point you to all of these different things, and I can try and show you the beauty of the gospel of John and how John builds with a foundation and adds layer after layer after layer and comes to this conclusion of the kingdom that is an inspiration to all of us, I hope. But if you come away with nothing else other than, you know what? I'm just going to go love my neighbor. Then we've done our job. That's it. I don't care. I'm an, I, you know, go love your neighbor. If that's what you come away with, beauty, beauty. I love it. Amen? Amen. So we're going to move on now to the prayers of confession, which you can fi find on page five of your liturgy. After that, we'll go into 60 seconds of silence as we ask the Spirit to join us. And then I believe Kara is going to lead us in the Eucharist. When you go to the table today, by the way, have that thought in your mind. Jesus is the bread of life, pointing you towards God's existence, pointing you towards God's character, pointing you towards the kingdom. I love the, I love, I love the idea of dunking Sammys. That's great. And there's a whole lot behind that, too, that we can have in mind as we go to the table today. The prayers of confession. I'll read the leader part. We can all read the all part together. Before we speak, God knows our needs, yet our words open our hearts to God's grace. Let us prepare ourselves for God's healing as, in words and silence, we tell all that separates us from God and one another. Please join me as we pray. We must confess how we have not lived as your people. We serve many masters, work, wealth, power, addiction, yet find no hope in them. We hear the cries of the poor, and shut the doors of our hearts to them. 
and we ridicule those who expose their hopes and dreams to us. Forgive us, compassion's heart, and heal us of our brokenness. Make us well so that by our healing we might be the hope and love others need in their lives, even as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, brought these gifts to us, calling us to be faithful with the grace, peace, and joy entrusted to us. As we let go of the pain, the bitterness, and the anger of our lives, let us be kind, tender-hearted, and gentle towards each other, forgiving as God has forgiven us. We are God's beloved children and will model God's grace and love in our hearts. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. We'll now go to 60 seconds of silence where we ask the Spirit to join us and etch this message and etch this scripture and etch this lesson into our hearts. Holy Spirit, please come. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.